Alright everybody, welcome back to the showcase. I'm your host, Paris Jackson. On today's episode, we are a couple of weeks into the season and ready to give you my early indicators on where it's going. So, super excited to get into this one. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the showcase. a.m. Pacific Standard Time on New Year's Eve 2020, ready to say goodbye to what has been, for a lot of people, one of the worst years in a long time, just from everything that's going on with COVID, unemployment, you know, social distancing, the cancellation of events, concerts, anything that you can think of, travel, international travel. It's uh, It's been one heck of a year for a lot of people. But on the flip side, I've, I've actually spoken to some people over the past couple of weeks and reflecting on the year and how it's been going. And honestly, that hasn't been the case for any everyone. Just for me personally, I know I've, I've been pretty blessed this year. And just to quickly recap what's been going on in my life, I mean, I moved to a new city, I got a promotion, I got engaged to my fiance, bought a house, started putting all that together, and have really just moved forward in my own personal life a few steps that I didn't even necessarily think I was going to take this year, but I've been truly, truly blessed and just wanted to, you know, take a moment to express gratitude for everything that I've been fortunate enough, including, you know, you guys listening to the showcase on a week in, week out basis, you know, sending me your feedback and uh, just the support that I've received over this year. So I've really, really appreciated it so far looking to, you know, continue this into the 2021 and and thereafter and really just start with with building upon what we built last season with you know as far as audience and and what you guys have been doing um, both on a gambling aspect of and just like a basketball appreciation aspect so i'm forever grateful for every single person that listens to this on a week in week out basis for your feedback your input and just your love and support so just want to start today's episode by saying how grateful i am you know for you guys and just for the other things i have going on in my life that have come to blossom this year and and i'm excited to for what next year brings in 2021 and and the years after and i know like I said, this year wasn't the greatest for a lot of people, but you know, for me personally, I, I was able to really, you know, move my life forward. And I hope for those of you that weren't able to do that this year, that 2021 is your year. And for those of you that had years similar to mine, that you know, life continues to to bless you in different ways, and 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 you're able to continue to grow as individuals and 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 chase your dreams and things of that nature. All right, enough for the mushy stuff. Let's get to what I like to call the season of what so i've been literally just saying this over and over the past couple of weeks as we watched some of these games and had to just take a quick second and do some of the math both myself and then you know mike mcclure from sportsline tweeted yesterday that of the 60 games that have happened so far 33 of them have had 10 points or more margins of victories, meaning aka blowouts where the team has won by 10 points or more. And of those 33, 15 of them have been 20 points or more blowouts, which is just absolutely boring to watch if I'm just being absolutely honest here. When a team goes up 20, 30 points early and you just know that the rest of the game is going to be a one where it's not very much worth watching just because the other team just doesn't have that much hope catching up by the time they get to the fourth quarter they're playing like some of their rotation guys 
it's just been a little bit of a problem. But then I started to look into, you know, how this is differed from other seasons. I know in previous episodes, I've kind of talked about how, you know, we're kind of got robbed of the preseason and a summer league and a shortened preseason for that matter. But really at the fact of the matter, this blowouts and things happening in this manner is very actually kind of similar to what goes on in an extended preseason and I started, you know, obviously, like I said, digging into previous years and what's going on. And I actually found this article that's on Red Band that I'll go ahead and post on Twitter a little bit later for you guys if, you, if you'd like to read it. Where in 2018, so it's a little bit of an older article, but um, at the start of the 2018-2019 season, this similar problem was happening, right, through the first 148 games, which is about twice as far into the season as we are now, being only at 60 games played, not counting the slate on Christmas Eve. And someone had noticed that the margin of victory had creeped up pretty high. It was at, I think, 11.7, right? On average, teams were were winning by 11.7 points um, across all games through the first 148. And this person who wrote the article actually decided to crunch the numbers for the previous seven years so everything from 2010 through the 2017-18 season he had crunched the numbers and found that the margin of victory at this point 148 games was actually 11 points and it's pretty consistent from year in year out um, where the teams have been now in some years, there was more 20-point blowouts. There's some years with more 25-point blowouts. There's some years with more 30-point blowouts. Because the way this person decided to group all the margins of victories as far as, you know, finding out what numbers is by every five points, right? Zero to five points, five to 10 points, 10 to 15, 15 to 20, and so on and so forth, up to about 35, because everything after 35 is, is so rare that there's no need to really keep track of it. But with that being said... The margin of victory across all these years was 11, and in the year that this gentleman decided to, 2018-2019 season, decided to do this at the beginning of the season, two years ago, the margin of victory had creeped up to 11.7. Now, the reason I bring all this up is because the margin of victory currently through 60 games is at 13.6 points, meaning teams on average are winning by 13.6 points, which sounds like a lot when you take a single year sample but if we extrapolate that to where the entire season has been for the past eight years minus you know the data that we don't have on the on our most recent season we're exactly in line a couple points higher right and we can attribute that to more scoring maybe something to do with the crowds not being there less pressure you know playing back-to-back games of teams even road teams are being a little bit more familiar on 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 the back end of those back and half back to backs but honestly the margin of victory isn't that much higher than years prior so i mean it is two points which can be statistically significant if you want to you know crunch the numbers on and be a stat nerd or something like that but for the most part we're right in line with exactly where we thought we would be and then i started thinking a little bit deeper about what this means in terms of the entire league right and for teams that 
have a shortened preseason, right? That have had a lot of player movement, right? Like let's consider the Nets figuring out how their two-star players are going to play together. The Hawks with all the acquisitions they did during the shortened off season. Uh, the Warriors with a Steph Curry back, the pieces they developed last year and a brand new rookie in James Wiseman, who's been going off. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about later, but all these teams still need time to figure out their rotations. And if you consider the whole month of December being treated as a preseason would, right, where different ro- coaches are trying different rotations, figuring out what works best, and even still we can find value in these games that are complete blowouts in that on the back half, I'll give you an example, right, the Clippers-Mavericks game from last Sunday where it was 50-point lead at the half, and the Clippers were well aware that they're not going to outscore the Mavericks 25 points in the next two quarters and spent the back half of the game trying out some different rotations. And the Mavericks got to do the same thing where in the preseason, you would likely start, you know, your starters and work those rotations for maybe a quarter or, you know, a quarter and a half in the, in, in the first half and then figure out your rotations anyway and not care about the score too much. Well, these blowouts that happen early are kind of forcing the hand to coaches to try these different rotations out similar to how they would in preseason right and even if it's not a blowout these different rotations need to be tried now when the stakes are a lot lower in december and in so i'm treating the entire month of december as a preseason not from a gambling perspective i'm keeping my record from you know the past two weeks i've gone eight and eleven through today it's not the best i had an zero and two night last night um that i was hoping to go over 500 with but you know eight and eleven is how it stands i'm keeping that record into 2021 and that's how we're going to start today's slate of games which uh, i'll post some picks in a little bit but with that being said these teams that have had these slower starts they're getting blown out like the Mavericks, again, are the perfect example. They smack the Clippers and then turn around and get smacked by the Hornets. The Hornets play a close game against the Nets, smack the Mavericks, but have lost you know, to teams that are far inferior to either of those that have played. Teams are still trying out rotations. They're feeling things out and are in. So given this time, we need to be just patient, right? We just need to be patient with teams to develop their rotations, reserve any real judgment that we pass on any teams. Now, we do have a few players in a few situations that look promising, which we'll get to in just a second. But with that being said, we have to acknowledge that these teams are going to need some time to figure things out and in so cannot jump to conclusions at any point about where a particular team will finish now last night i had a a person in my life you know adamant that the blazers were going to make the western conference finals and willing to do a hundred dollar wager on it which to me is basically about 20 units for those of you keeping track and i was hesitant to take the bet and then the blazers got smacked by the clippers and i was a little more willing to take the bet but at the same time hesitant because a single game does not determine the entire season and the Blazers who smacked the Lakers not too long ago not smacked them but climbed out of a deficit definitely outplayed them in the second half they're one of those teams that had less moves still still some important moves bringing in Robert Covington and you know, uh, getting rid of Trevor Ariza, bringing in Derek Jones Jr. But even them, they still have to figure out their rotations and exactly how they're going to play for a whole game, clean things up before 
I'm willing to pass judgment on how strong they really stand in the West. And that's with me having them finish with the fourth best record in the West. I'm talking about the Portland Blazers here. And they, I just wasn't ready to pass judgment on it. I had to decline the wager. And I think that it would be irresponsible for anyone who is not paid a million bucks to just argue like, you know, some people are on first take or get up or whatever morning ESPN show where they basically just have to throw around arguments all day in, in the name of entertainment. I'd argue that it would be irresponsible for anybody to pass judgment on a team so far, though we do have some indicators that, you know, will point us in the right direction. So with that being said, that's my opening little bit on what I've seen so far in the NBA. But I do have, you know, some highlights and things that I want I want to make sure I mention. But let's take a very quick break. We'll come back and we'll talk about, you know, what's going on. The thing I want to highlight is, you know, the play that I've seen from a few players around the league that is largely a little bit different than what we saw last year, different playing styles, and just honestly give some props to some players. I mean, we're literally only about four or five games deep for everybody, but it's still enough to you know show who is going to play how and give some props to some people. First of which, I just have to shout this guy out because he's played phenomenally on the Pacers on the defensive end, and it's just been kind of impressive to see his numbers, and that's Miles Turner. So Miles Turner last year averaged about 2.1 blocks a game in the 2019-2020 season for the Pacers, and this year, through four games, he's averaging five blocks a game, which is just a huge number. And I went and crunched the numbers and looked through the four games just to make sure he didn't have one game that had, you know, David Robinson-level blocks, and he hasn't. And he's just been steadily consistent with getting his blocks, which means he's timing is really good. He's he's being in the right place at the right time so he can actually be a presence on the Pacers, and it's kind of showed. I mean, they had two very close games with Boston, and a couple other games here that, you know, could have been decided either way. It's one of the very few blowouts that we didn't have, you know, that that back half that wasn't a blowout. But at the same time, you know, it's just important to give him his flowers while the media is going to be talking about a lot of different people. I mean, five blocks a game through four games is impressive, and I think it deserves being recognized. The second person I want to talk about who I know isn't going to get a lot of shine, it's just an individual performance. Last night, Jalen Brown dropped 42 points for the Celtics on their absolute beatdown of the Memphis Grizzlies. Now, no John Morant and no, you know, actually Memphis Grizzlies had a whole host of players that were missing from this game. So they were really playing like their third rotation. But even still, dropping 42 points needs to be recognized. And Jalen Brown uh, is doing great things for the Celtics team. I think he's actually their leading scorer through their first few games here, and uh, more so than Jason Tatum, who just, who has been doing great as well. But Jalen Brown obviously goes unrecognized as Jason Tatum really is the face of the team. The other two guys I want to talk about are interesting because they're almost a mentor and mentee, according to uh, the younger of the two players, and the first of which is Trey Young. Trey Young, last year and the year before, 
continually always gets compared to Luka Doncic. And that's because of the trade that happened and the way the media spun that particular draft and has always been under the shadow of who is he compared to Luka Doncic. Now, Luka has not had the start to the season that a lot of Dallas Mavericks fans have hoped for and has come out the gates a little bit slow. Trey Young, on the other hand, has actually turned into the league's leading scorer through the first couple of games, you know, not counting James Harden because he's only played two games. But Trey Young has actually stepped forward as the league leading scorer and a lot of how he's done that is get by getting to the free throw line man's averaging about 15 16 free throws a game which is just an ungodly number of free throws especially for his size right that shows his ability to continue to snake into the paint and draw fouls and that means drawing contact as well he's not shying away from it and get to the free throw line and he's still a threat from deep i mean last night it's a great example i mean the hawks put up 141 points on the nets unfortunately lost the game but trey young scored 26 and he was 0 for 4 from deep right which trey young is often thought about as a deep threat right he gets the comparisons to steph curry and dame lillard as far as his range and his shooting ability and uh even clay thompson comparisons but at the same time, he's, he was not known until recently as a player that would attack the rim and get to the free throw line and has really added that to his game this year. And I think that elevates the Hawks to a certain level. The Hawks in general, I've just been really impressed with. I mean, they were one of the few teams with just one loss this early in the season. Again, I compare it to last year. The Suns were 5-0 and to start the season, and everybody was ready to crown them, you know, Western Conference finalists or something like that and i'm not doing that here with the hawks but they were one of the teams i was high on with all the moves that they made and they showed that not only are they a three-point team which helps spread the floor but trey young attacking the rim john collins attacking the rim has been extremely effective for the hawks and i think that you know if trey young continues to play like this even though he's a little bit undersized but his ability to draw contact and come up with these free throws is going to be really effective in boosting this hawks team now that is a mentee from a distance, his mentor supposedly is the star that he played last night in Kevin Durant. And the only thing I can really say about Kevin Durant is like, man, I've missed watching him play. His ability to score has been absolutely amazing. He's picked up exactly where he left off with the Warriors. I mean, he can get to any spot and shoot and looks like he's basically just in a gym practicing with a shooting coach or something like that, even though he's running these full speed NBA games. Um, I mean, there was plenty of talk, you know, leading up to the season and leading up to his first preseason game of, you know, he had 550 plus days off of, you know, tearing his Achilles. And usually that's the timeline that it takes for a player to heal. But I think that not having a complete season last year and not coming back for the bubble and just taking his time to return has paid off tenfold over what an early return might have done to him um done to a player like clay thompson who went down again after a shortened rest right so in seeing all that i've just been really impressed with kevin durant specifically and i'm interested to see how it goes with him and Kyrie. they have been doing a little bit of a your turn my turn type thing but i think Kyrie has done a good job of driving and kicking out to kevin durant and i'm really interested to see how this nets team continues to play so the nets and the hawks are, are basically my two teams that i'm really really interested in like you know they're basically I, if they're on i'm gonna watch one of those two teams and they continue to show promise and I think will go a long way. Now, that's to say these early, you know, teams that I'm really high up on, 
it's such a short window and such a small sample size that really at the end of the day, I'm not ready to crown anybody. Like I said at the top, you know, Eastern Conference champion or Eastern, really Eastern Conference finalist at this point. Um, you know, I think the the Bucks have shown just as much promise, but they've also got smacked by the Knicks and then, you know, lost to the Heat at night after beating them by 40. The point is... This month of December has given us a really good insight and I think into some players and how, you know, they've responded from longer breaks or come back from injuries, things of that nature. But I'm not really ready to pass judgment on teams as a whole yet, if that makes sense. And with that, I think, you know, I'll just leave it at that as far as, you know, who the best teams have been and I think that the the theme is everybody needs to just hold their horses a little bit right hold your horses don't put too much stock in any one game or team's performance over a couple of games wait until we get to mid-January or possibly even the end of February before we really start passing judgment on 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 teams of where they are in the standings how good they should be where they fell off and while it makes it very hard to gamble, right, because anything can happen any night, right, the Hornets were eight-point dogs last night and ended up smacking the Mavericks. Uh, I keep talking about that one because that one really stung last night. I thought the Mavericks were a shoe-in to go ahead and cover that, and, and they just haven't. And they've been missing Kristaps and yada yada, but, man, I wasn't expecting that, so that's why I keep talking about it. But that's, you know, my takes on where we're at with these few couple of teams. So I want to switch over now, especially because I said, obviously, the limelight has been on a few individuals more so that they've been on teams as a whole and give you guys my rookie report so far through five games. And I think the people that I'm about to talk about aren't going to be all too surprising. I think that everybody has had the same take through a few games on on who the best rookies are coming out of the draft and part of it has to do with the teams that they're playing on and the other part has to do with just of course the amount of minutes that they've been getting which factors into you know how much they get shown right like because of course we have like the Peyton Pritchers of the world that are coming in at the guard position to an already stacked Celtics team but having to compete for those minutes but he's been pretty good i think one game he got like an 11 3 and 3 you know in about 15 or 18 minutes which is impressive for somebody to come off the bench and do that for but um the main ones that you still have time to actually get your rookie of the year bet in at least on my bookie which have some pretty significant value still in the top five i would say are james wiseman anthony edwards tyrese halliburton and Cole Anthony with a little bit of indication on LaMelo Ball, right? I think LaMelo Ball's ceiling is is still much higher. He's had some flashes where he's shown really well, but he's also had a ton of games where he just hasn't shown up. I, it was funny. I was texting, you know, a group chat of mine the other day that said, LaMelo Ball looks like, you know, when you get the brand new 2K and you jump right into my career and you have to play those, you know, first couple of games where you're still learning the new controls. LaMelo Ball looks like a baby deer out there just stumbling around and turning the ball over, making bad passes, you know, no look passes that don't go to anybody. And I think if he just simmers down the flash and focuses on the sizzle that LaMelo Ball will have a very, very good year on this Hornets team that is, I think, a little bit better than people are giving him credit for. They're also one of my teams to fade when they're, you know, five-point underdogs, but I'm definitely betting on them when they're like nine or ten-point underdogs because they seem to be able to play teams competitively. It's just whether or not they win is is still left up to see. 
So LaMelo Ball is probably the longest shot for Rookie of the Year, though. I think the media will do a lot of what they did with Zion last year and give him some votes anyway and just keep their eyes peeled to him. More so than, you know, these next two guys that I'm about to talk about. But definitely LaMelo Ball has still some value. I think he's about plus 300 right now. Uh, last time I checked, and you can get your bets in up till the 1st. So if you're listening to this today, um, go ahead and get your bets in. After today, I think it closes, and you'll have to check. Maybe the odds will update or something like that. Next on my list is Cole Anthony of the Magic. And from a daily fantasy perspective, this he is the fifth leading scorer of all rookies in daily fantasy sports. LaMelo Ball is the fourth, and then the other three guys make up the top five. And it just so happens that these five are, of course, the ones that I'm talking about, but they make up, obviously, the the top fantasy. And the reason I use that scoring as an indicator because it just aggregates a lot of the stuff that happens on offense and leaves really the defense out in the wind, but nobody really gets credit for the defense they play in rookie of the year considerations, right? Brandon Clark might have last year, I think, as as the best... Uh, example of all that but even still oftentimes it just gets left off Cole Anthony while not the greatest scorer right he's shown a lot of confidence confidence shooting where from where he can and and has definitely shown a lot of promise as far as his ability to score but his ability to direct traffic on this magic team i've been really really impressed with it seems like when he's on the court he's just phenomenal i think his plus minus is plus 11 right now in the minutes that he has and he's averaging nine points which isn't a ton but he's also averaging five rebounds and five assists right and we're doing the old you know fedex parcel roundup where it's really like 4.3 4.4 on the rebounds and assists but we're rounding him up to five just to be nice but 9, 5, and 5 in 17 minutes on the court is phenomenal, right? That's exactly what you can ask for. Those are almost triple-double numbers at the point guard position, which is great. He's shown he's been able to facilitate the ball, command enough respect that people have to chase him off the three. And I've really been impressed with Cole Anthony. I mean, he's still a long shot, I think, at plus 1,100 to win Rookie of the Year. And I, I really wouldn't bet on him unless you want some true value, right? Turn 5 into 60 or you know, a hundred into a thousand. Um, so, but I'm keeping my eye on him because if he continues to play like this and granted at this point, magic are the only undefeated team at this point in the league. And of course, granted they beat the wizards twice. I believe they beat the thunder and can't remember the fourth team that they beat, but you know, so they haven't really beat like, you know, the Titans, of the Western Conference or Eastern Conference or anything like that. But I've been highly impressed with the play from all the Magic. You know, Aaron Gordon, Markel Fultz continues to develop. Vujicic has been good. And, you know, losing Terry Rozier a few years ago, losing Terrence Ross, losing, excuse me, Terrence Ross, not Terry Rozier, losing Terrence Ross, losing DJ Augustine really hasn't been a huge damper on what they've been able to do and i've been impressed with the pace that they play at so cole anthony you're getting you're getting some respect this nod the other guy that probably won't get or probably will get talked about a lot just because he plays so much and in crunch time and i think has been an absolute steal is tyrese halliburton he brings this king's team a lot of what they lost in boban and a part of it also is buddy heel is finally playing up to his contract but tyrese halliburton is just super super active on both ends of the floor has shown that he has the ability to score create his own shot and just came to the league like really polished and just kind of exactly 
knows where the ball is supposed to be, knows where he's going to be going. And this Kings team has actually garnered some some more respect in the past couple. Um, it's crazy. I mean, they one night they, they beat the Suns pretty handily, and then the very next night they get smacked. But at the same time, this Kings team has shown a lot of promise. And I think a lot of that has to do with what they've been able to do with Tyrese Halliburton. And if they're able to keep up his level of production throughout the whole season, they may be able to do some things in, in the off season or at the trade deadline where they can take advantage of the fact that he's a pretty cheap replacement for any other two guard or guard that they might be putting in. And, and so I need him to get his respect. The last two players are the number one and number two overall picks here, Anthony Edwards and James Wiseman, and kind of the same thing for both of them. They've came in, I think they've elevated the team to higher than where I had expected them. I had pretty high hopes for the Warriors, but Kelly Oubre and Andrew Wiggins like have absolutely played like dog shit, except for the fourth quarter of the Pistons game where Andrew Wiggins finally started to look like his old self. So the Warriors actually look a little bit worse than they actually are. Steph had a pretty slow start as well. But James Wiseman has been a bright spot in an otherwise dark play from this Warriors team. And same with Anthony Edwards. I mean, I had the Minnesota Timberwolves absolutely crossed off as probably the one of the worst teams in the Western Conference. And D'Angelo Russell has obviously played pretty well, shooting pretty well. Ricky Rubio has added a little bit in his playmaking ability. Cat, you know, I think the death of his loved one is, is fueling him a little bit to be better and, and honestly just be, a, a, you know, better as age comes to him but Anthony Edwards has come onto this team and I think elevated the entirety of the team by adding one stud player and this is where a lot of people can make the argument that one player can truly affect how good a team is now are they going to make the playoffs probably not are they going to be arguably fighting for that 12-11-10th spot probably right I think the Minnesota Timberwolves are better than I gave them credit for coming into the season and Anthony Edwards is a lot of the reason for that I still have a lot of hope for the Warriors. I mean, I'm an absolute homer on these guys, and, uh, you know, I will, I'll never give up hope on them to the point where maybe, you know, I sound a little bit ridiculous. But if Steph can play like he did in that fourth, actually, if the whole team can play like they did in that fourth quarter against the Pistons team, I have a lot of hope for them to, to get to that record that I had them at of 26 and 11 through this first half. On the flip side, if they play like the first three quarters of that Pistons game, then I have very little hope for them. And But I am impressed with James Wiseman, especially coming off of missing a whole college season, only playing three games. He's only played like three games in the last couple of years before joining this Warriors team and playing big minutes. And Marcus Kreese... Marquise Chris going down is definitely going to be a huge part in, in his continued role, and he's only going to get better, right? He's only going to fill out more. He's only going to know what he's supposed to be doing more often. He's only going to get more and more comfortable on this Warrior squad, and I have high hopes for the Warriors. Now, you could probably make the same argument for the Minnesota Timberwolves, and I'm not a homer of them, so that's why I'm shutting it down. So please easily shut down my Warriors take as well if, you know, mid-January, late January, they've started to lose a couple bunch of games because none of these players have come to fruition, like I said. Other than that, I mean, there's definitely some honorable mentions in the rookies, like Peyton Pritchard, I've already mentioned, Killian Hayes for sure coming in, Sadiq Bay. So after those Pistons picks were really, really good, really good. I was really impressed with those two rookies on the Pistons squad, um, that game that they played without D. Rose and Blake Griffin. 
But even still, man, I I just thought the like Sadiq Bay, Killian Hayes, Peyton Pritchard, they all deserve some respect, but they're just not at the same level as these other five. But that's the rookie report. The last thing I wanted to quickly mention uh, before we get into a break real quick is the surprisingly low impact of COVID, even with all the travel and everything like that. Now, it hasn't come out exactly who and what has tested for COVID, but the only players that have really been effective, I think D'Anthony Melton in the Grizzlies game last night was the one of the first ones I saw. Of course, you had that Thunder Rockets game get postponed, and surprisingly, it wasn't due to James Harden being out in clubs or something like that. The story came out that a bunch of players went and got haircuts at some apartment and came into contact with somebody that, you know, through contact tracing, had to put them on hold. But we haven't had any postponements through the first 60 games other than that one, right? So we're 59 of 60. That's pretty damn good as far as where we need to be, but COVID really hasn't had any impact on the players. Now, it came out this morning that there's been an announcement on some new like tracking that the NBA is planning on doing for teams during team scheduled activities, which I think is a little bit too much big brother activity for me. I mean, um, tracking these players is just like... Now they really are in basketball jail, like I talked about last week, and I talked about, you know... Um, now maybe these guys are on parole now and they have freaking ankle monitors going around instead of actually being in jail but um surprisingly low impact of covid i'll, I'll be surprised if, if this actually you know does come to fruition but even still um just really impressed with these players abilities and the nba's ability to keep keep the you know covid cases really low and hopefully you know it continues into january and and, and february and beyond as the vaccine gets rolled out more and more Let's take a quick break, we'll jump back together, do betting woes and woes real quick, and uh, then we'll just kind of wrap for the day. All right, it's everybody's favorite segment, betting woes and woes. And honestly, it's been a lot more woes. I've already kind of talked, alluded to this a little bit, but you know, I have an 8-11 and 11 record coming into this podcast. Hoping to go over 500 with a few picks for today's slate of games and have picks every day on, on Twitter at, at PJ Showcase. So, you know, follow along. You know, feel free to fade me if you want and you'd be 11 and 8. But, uh, you know, my luck is definitely going to turn around the, the deeper this season goes and I get a better feel for teams. That being said, I would be remiss to skip out on these two terrible bad beats that I had over the past couple of weeks, these first 60 games of the season in that first of which Pelicans minus five when they played the Spurs on Sunday, right? It was quite a day of football gambling and basketball gambling in, in total. But for these posted picks, this was as bad of a beat as you're going to get. So it's Pelicans minus five. It's coming down to the end of the game. It's about 91 90 if i remember correctly and so we're in covered what i've called cover territory right cover territory is when things start to look very close in the last two three minutes of the game where it's worth watching it's those moments that really get your blood boiling get you anxious about the ending of the game really gets you excited almost you know that is what i call cover territory and we were in it for sure so game progresses, it goes on and gone, you know, back and forth, back and forth. I'm covering, I'm not covering. It looks like a push. It looks like a loss. It looks like a win. And then finally, Pelicans are up three with the ball. Spurs are running the foul game, right, trying to just get one last possession, and they foul Steven Adams. 
Steven Adams comes to the line. The Pelicans are up three, and he misses both free throws. Spurs recover, basically just dribble out the last 12 seconds, don't even get a shot off, and in so, the Pelicans win by three. Tough, tough beat. I mean, they kudos to the Spurs. They played the foul game. It went exactly how they wanted them to for them to get an opportunity to at least tie and throw it into overtime, but for a better man, that was a bad beat. I mean, Steven Adams, you hit both those free throws and we're at least pushing and, you know, we can live to bet another day with those funds. Instead, it turns into a loss. And here we are talking about the next one. The next one didn't happen too much later. It was actually the exact next day where the Hawks were facing off with the Pistons and the Pistons were 10 point underdogs. I laid the Hawks at minus 10. Kind of wish I got it at minus 9, but once you hear this story, you'll realize that it doesn't matter, right? Maybe I should have bought some points, whatever. I really don't like buying points because then you're just messing with your overall profit. And if you're going to buy points or even tees, I think that you should just take the other side. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about whether or not you should even do teasers or parlays or anything like that. But I've come to learn if you're going to tease a point a team down or a total down well you might as well just take the opposite because it's uh it's more likely to happen and the payouts are going to be a little bit bigger but anyway i took the hawks at minus 10 and again we were in cover territory in the last couple of minutes of the game blood's boiling you know i'm screaming for the hawks to get every last little possession that they possibly can and actually you know score some points on it comes to the end of the game and the hawks are up six right there's about 30 seconds left, maybe 20, and the Pistons are, you know, playing the foul game, right? Trying to get those last couple of possessions, shoot some threes so that they're able to do it. The Hawks fortunately keep, you know, playing good defense. The Pistons don't get great shots off. They get rebounds, they're fouls. Trey Young goes to the foul line and puts him up 8. There's about 20 seconds left at this point if I remember correctly, and Killian Hayes has the ball for the Detroit Pistons. kudos to Killian Hayes he did what he is most known for and he turns the ball over to Cam Reddish who starts sprinting over the half court line and Killian Hayes is actively trying to foul for about seven seconds I mean it was brutal to watch I was literally watching it with my brother-in-law I'm yelling at the tv foul that's a foul he's fouling him he's fouling him and to my dismay of course the refs don't call it. The refs just wanted to go home. Hawks up eight. Wouldn't matter too much anyway if they win by eight or win by ten. And the game ends. And wow, was that a bad beat. I'm just left staring at my TV in disbelief that this referee, two feet away, decided not to call this freaking foul and make it so we could at least push again. Both of those weren't even winners per se. They were just going to be pushed, but man, it felt bad just watching them in in pure disbelief of what was unfolding before my eyes. But I'm sure some people bet the other side and, and were able to cover because of it, so kudos to them. Now, the record is 8 and 11 as I've stated multiple times, right? The marathon continues. It's a long, long season. We're 60 games down. We have about 850 some odd games left i'd have to redo the math on that but uh you know we have plenty of games left in the slate to bet on uh appreciate everybody listening to this one i hope everybody enjoys their new year's celebrations or have gotten a great start to the new year if you're listening to this after today 
thank you again so much for listening and, and, and all the support. Make sure to follow me at PJ Showcase on Instagram and Twitter. Go ahead and throw me a follow or a download or subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you're listening this on. Definitely appreciate all the love and support. Wishing everybody, you know, much success in the upcoming year. I know that's the case for me as will as will be the case for you. And that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Much blessings in the coming year, everybody. And uh, peace out, 2020.